welcome to Chucked, part two, episode two, show two. Glad you're with us today. We began last show by continuing the discussion we started last weekend at Southbrook Church. And today's part three and the final part of our telling our story and the implications of that. Austin, take us away. Well, we, we ended up talking about how, how the honesty plays a huge role in, um, in getting through, you know, the pressures we're under, what we come from, what is, what is that a hold of us? And, um, and, and not just honesty, honesty stake, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, being honest about what, uh, what's true about us right now, you know, what, what is, what is shaped us. And, and one thing I want to say was, um, it's funny. A lot of people um, came up to me and can uh, kind of complimented me on my my vulnerability this weekend and, and you know all that stuff, um, which is which is great. I appreciate it. But um, so so I, I lead. I uh, I'm one of the leaders of a 12 step group that meets on Monday nights at Southbrook, and um, so it's men only recovery group, uh, open discussion meeting. And um, every once in a while, we'll have a lead come in, some guy, uh, a member of the group or someone outside of it um, that models recovery well in their life. Um, we'll give a lead, which is, as you don't know, it's basically, um, as AA defines it, what your life was like, what happened, and what it's like today. So you share your experience, strength, and hope of um, your life within an hour. And... Um, so we had a great friend of mine come in, a guy I, I love a lot and has just a real impact on my life. He gave his first lead um, and it brought me to tears at the end because, especially thinking about what I did this past weekend, um, there's just one thing to talk about honesty, but it's a, it's, it's a whole other deal to be honesty. To, to like embody it and exist in it and to live honest, honestly, live out honesty with such grace. And the details of a story are, are just r- remarkable and just like, whoa. I mean, just, just knock you over and his ability to do it with such grace and just tell them, um, it was unbelievable. It brought me to tears. It made me feel guilty and ashamed for doing what I did this weekend almost. Just because like, and I look around the room at the end and I told the group, I said, I was leading the meeting. I said, guys, I think we're, I think we were lesser men at 6.59 than we are right now at eight o'clock. And, um, and I said, that's the real deal. Like that's like what you just saw. That's what it's about. Yeah. Cause you can talk about honesty. You can be honest in some spots or you can be honesty. And, and that guy hmm. was, I mean, it was an hour of honesty that um, has set his life free. It was a life that was, um, that had a lot of um, betrayal and a lot of, a lot of pain and a lot of um, attachment to other people. But speaking of this, this, um, this uh, part three of um, our series here, we, um, we have the five S that came out this week. This week it's on solitude, and, um, and the five S's are for us at our church the the five practices 
that help you live like Jesus. Solitude, the habit of scripture, the habit of service, the habit of mutual support and significant events, how people grow. So we have the five, five on five study. I, I don't know if you just said that. I wasn't listening to what you're saying. <laughs> I was reading something. <laughs> Honesty. Yeah, um, I just, I just <laughs> summarized the five okay. on five. Okay, yeah. Anyway, we asked a lot of questions that came from the first weekend of the first week of that. Um, in a roundabout way, we asked a lot of those questions that you asked in that in the solitude. Um, and uh, but I want to go a little bit more. You know, like we, we this weekend we kind of saw you know uh, with with you and what you and I did on stage. We um, got it from my side, but for more from your side, I wanted to dig into something you said in this this um, in the in the five on five was. You kind of spoke about how um, you being this example as a father to your family, as a husband to your family, as, a, as an example of of, um, of Christ. And uh, one thing, when I, I, I do some counseling with people through my job, and um, one one thing I, I incorporate if they have this misconception, they just they just can't understand. They, they can't even they don't even know where to begin with thinking about God. They just they they have just no I don't even know where to begin when I ask them what do you think of God what do you, what can he do for you what can you do for him one thing that's been it was it was helpful for me to kind of reset what I think about God like just just you know no condition just what I think about God was to write a letter to you address it to you and write everything I feel about you our relationship um, as my dad. Um, what I loved, what I didn't love, what I thought you could have done better, what you did great, uh, just everything I felt about it. Boy, would I love to see that better. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was it was it was it wasn't bad as you thought. <laughs> um, it probably wasn't bad as the narrative going on in my head about <laughs> how I probably you up. not. <laughs> no, you, you're trying to avoid the big head there, um, but. But never give it to you. But then, then so take that letter and then readdress it to God, and then and read it as a prayer to God. And it is amazing how much just like wow, that is what I feel about God. Exactly, you know, because yeah, our, our, our father forms it shapes everything. Whether yeah. you had a dad or didn't, it just it's going to shape everything. And um, so there's so many elements of 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 uh, what I thought about God that came from you. And so there are so many good ones. Um, one thing that well, it wasn't a bad one. But what really shaped it and still shapes my view of God today was is there is this um, there was this there's this mystery about you, I think, and it was one of the most the, the largest parts of who you were as just a man um, that I just I didn't really know about it was it was it was just this um, of what makes you what gives you your you-ness and, and where and where this comes from and we picked up on it a little bit last one. But, um, but I first want to ask you, well, how did, how did Grandpa um, Charlie Lynn McMahon, uh, the third Chuck, Chuck another Chuck, um, how did he shape your view of God? Very distinctly in, in, in that one of my strongest images of my dad is sitting in a pew next to him as a little guy, and it's church, and I'm, I'm sorting through my football cards. And he's got his arm around me, pat me on the head. So there was this very 
very healthy, just affection for me that he had. You know, he, there was never any doubt in my mind his affection. But the other side to that, excuse me, is he was gone most of the time. So I've never had a hard time seeing God as loving, but it took me years to see God as uh, not distant, mm. not too busy for me to bother him. So that's two very distinct images of God. Mm. And to this day, I can see God as being loving, but I have to make sure I surrender to the reality that he is close. And that's probably why Dallas Willard's insight into Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who is in heaven, mm-hmm. changed my life so much when he shows the plurality of that. Our Father who fills the three spheres of heaven, the air around us, the sky, and the beyond, that God is near. That, that was life-changing for me mm. because of that. Dad was gone 20, 25 days a month. He, when he taught at OSU in Columbus Tech, he was he was home late at night, you know. So um, that's how he formed my a lot of my uniqueness and how I see God. Mm-hmm. What a, to despiritualize it a little bit? What a, before he died, you guys had a lot of catching up to do, for lack of a better mm-hmm. phrase. Um, what was that about? What did you guys talk about? Well, part of it is the last 20 years of his life, I understood him so much more because we had conversations on our back porch about the abandonment of his mother. She left him. He tried to track her down in the 80s, found her in Orange County, California, and she didn't want to meet him. And just how that defined him, how that was so defining to him and his shame being raised in that context and on an Apache Indian culture that frankly was was very shame-based. So we had a lot of conversations about that. So I could I could so understand my dad. Um, frankly, I could understand my mom too and where she came from. But I could understand him. And then I was the fourth of fifth children. There was a part of the conversation that was, hey dad, enough talking about you. I want to talk about me for a while. Because I I didn't being the fourth of fifth kids, there are like three pictures of me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I didn't, I just so didn't know who I was in, in many ways. And so the priceless insight he gave into me and what I was like as a kid was just invaluable. And I just well, I remember sitting at Bethesda Hospital in Zanesville and just, you know, I would drive over there when he was really sick and couple times a week, and we would just have these conversations, just he and I alone in the hospital room, just priceless all the time I spent on the road and with him. Uh, even down to the very last minute before he died, I flew back from Florida, and I got here, and I was able to tell him everything that I felt about him as a dad was just so redeeming for me. I was so proud of him. You know, he, he was a soldier. He was an engineer. Um, he was an athlete. There's so many ways I was proud of my dad, but he was very deeply flawed individual too. Mm-hmm. He loved God. He loved his country. He loved his family. But he and my mom didn't like each other. And so that that was very defining. They just did not get along. And um, 
uh, we were in a dynamic where my mom resented our affection for him because she felt she knew better about his flaws than we did. And hmm. so there was just a, it was like, it's funny because I so grieve that we were sitting here in our basement where it's this explosion of my childhood. It's 10 year old heaven is what I call it. And there's so much that is about dad and mom in this place. And, uh, grief and gratitude, but yet life got easier when they died. Like when, when, when they, we weren't in the middle of, of their tension. I, I tell people now that the, the mother and the father, their relationship creates the heat in the family. And so you're either a, a hearth that is warm and, and the family wants to gather around that hearth because you're warm between each other, or a cool draft comes from that hearth because there's no fire there. And it's always been one of our intentions as, as your mom and I, we want to be that hearth that we like each other. We love each other. And you guys want to be around us mm-hmm. because you just see this dynamic because I did not have that. They, I did not have that early. My mom and dad were the opposite of so many. Their marriage was really good early on and then it just got worse. And when they, when they, uh, when they passed, they did not like each other. That was hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard. Yeah. So you talked about, you know, one of the the not getting the big head. So what what what? How did you get pressure from your childhood growing up? What where did pressure come from? If there was no, if the biggest fail, the biggest problem you could be was to be overconfident. What what where did the pressure come from? It might see it might seem obvious to others, but to me it doesn't. It seems a little harder to find in, in hearing that. Yeah, the the pressure came from the one thing is as I had the benefit of a dad who loved me, who was interested in me, but he didn't own my athletic mm-hmm. pursuits at all. He he didn't like basketball re- really. So while he initially talked me into playing, he bribed me by saying I'll get you a hoop if in the in the driveway if you do. He didn't like it. So I was able to own it. Mm-hmm. Now, contrary to you, who you your sport of choice was your dad's sport of choice. So that was part of the perfect storm in your life is here in this area. A lot of people who knew me, you know, that I didn't have that. So I, I saw the benefit of that. But I was short and my dad was big. And the pressure for me came with I was always undersized. And and again, I I literally had this happen in a family gathering. A family member one time said, well, I hope, Charles, that you get to be at least six feet tall like your father. And the implication being, and again, I was like, you know, fifth, sixth grade, like, if you don't, you don't measure up. And I remember as a little guy going, wait a minute, I can't control that. The benefit of that long term is I think to this day, I have incredible grit. I mean, I was, I, what developed out of that was competitiveness. You, I, I, I really do believe to this day, if I stepped on a court with Michael Jordan, I would not be intimidated by him. He would not outcompete me. So the pressure came from literally physically not measuring up. Mm-hmm. And you're and, like 5'11 and three quarters. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> literally. literally just fell short of, uh, it's so symbolic. I literally fell short of six feet tall. I'm just, uh, you know, it's so symbolic. But, it created incredible grit, perseverance, a competitiveness. I won't be outlasted because I had to learn 
uh, to adapt. You know, it's it's so not I, a coincidence at all that I chose basketball, a tall man sport, and I could jump. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I played much bigger. I think there's something about just sheer will, yeah. just sheer will. You know, mm-hmm. some athleticism, but just sheer will. That's why I always understood Michael Jordan. I always understood that guy because he had such a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, he just he he played out of anger, and and I did. I mm-hmm. mean, I I I did one time. This guy took a cheap shot. We were playing in Michigan, and a guy took a cheap shot at me. Everybody saw it, and my coach allowed me to do this. I went down the court eleven straight times and scored on him. I just I mean, I was one of my distinct memories. Eleven straight times. He just let me have the ball. He cleared the side of the court, and I just went at that guy. That was my way of just don't ever do that again, pal. And uh, uh-huh. and 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 so that was where the pressure came. Was I was just short. I was just undersized, and I just fear, and I was never going to measure up. Mm-hmm. How did those those all those impressions get expressed through your through your ministry career? What toll did they take on that? So then that transferred over the competitiveness of I've, I've never felt competitive against other people in my profession, but I think I was competitive with my mentors mm-hmm. because early on I saw these guys, you know, Bob Russell was a huge mentor of mine. He led a, a very growing church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I compared myself to Bob. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I early on, I didn't have my own voice yet. Mm-hmm. I didn't discover my own voice. And Bob actually helped me very early on like every week. And so the pressure came from that competitiveness of measure, trying to measure up to Bob, which was ridiculous. It was ridiculous to try to do that. I'm not him. I don't have the same gift set. I don't have the same background as he had. So that's where the pressure came. But that competitive, that drive, that drive to prove really came out in ministry, leadership, uh, I remember one time one of my college teammates, you know, this has probably been 10 or 15 years ago, he said, man, we never saw you being a leader like this. You know? And for me, I was surprised by that because I was always saw myself as a leader. I just led in passion and drivenness and mm-hmm. perseverance and, you know, hopefully toughness. Yeah. You know? But that was all to prove myself because I say that about toughness even. I think in many ways I'm a tough individual, in, internal person, but I wasn't tough as a kid. I was not a tough kid. I was competitive, but I'd also, mm-hmm. you know, cry if I got beat and mm-hmm. and quit if my, you know, I'm in the yard and my sisters win or something and I'd quit. I mean, I wasn't a tough kid I, mm-hmm. at all. Um, but it really translated to ministry because – it was much more about building something mm-hmm. to prove my worth. I, I I would love to say that's not true, mm-hmm. but it is. It was also mixed with love, and it was mixed with love for God and love for people. It was mixed, but it wasn't pure. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anyone that starts out. It, I haven't met anyone that starts out pure. There's stuff mixed in there. Yeah. But God uses our character defects. It's, as you know, that's what he uses. He uses, and he redeems it, and then he says, hey, now I'm going to save you. Mm-hmm. It's a journey of purification. <laughs> yeah, it is a journey mm-hmm. of purification. I think something that's interesting is, as we talked about, you know, it's an interesting question. Who do you think, who, you know, because I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of my, you know, my childhood that much. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, 
it really went on, you know, how it really was. Just kind of as you asked, you know, your dad, you know, what was I like? Um, there are, there's, there's so, much, there's so, many, so many things that came out of this, but so that's why I ask it. Who do you think was a tougher kid growing up, you or I? Oh, you by far. Mm-hmm. And, see, oh. and see, I, I kind of knew the answer to that, and that's mm-hmm. why I asked it, and that all my childhood, I constantly told myself I wasn't tough enough and I wasn't competitive enough. And then I got to adulthood, and every one of my problems came from being too tough and being and having too yeah. big of a fire for And it. why do you think that is? Well, the reason that is is because one of my goals for you and I don't think I said it a lot, right, was to put you in situations where you had to be tough. Mm-hmm. I would never put, never, and anyone listening to this who has a son, do not put them up a grade. Why did I do that? Because it would put you in a position where I knew at your level, you'd probably have it pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But if I put you up a grade, it'd be tough. Well, you know what that did? It did exactly what you said. I'm not tough enough. I, it, it didn't build confidence in you. You never got a chance to, and I mean this in a healthy way, kind of dominate until you got older. And, but that you were always in that context where I was putting you. Remember the time we were on vacation and, and you and Jordan and I boated across the lake? And then I left you guys. And I said, figure out a way to get back. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. See, that was, that was midnight. So you're like seven and eight years I don't, old. I don't remember that. PTSD yeah, yeah, and I traumatically blocked Yeah, you out. probably have it blocked out. But I <laughs> no. said, figure it out what. Now, when I got back, your mom was not happy about that. Where are the kids? I said, well, I left them over there. And I just said, figure out a way to get back on your own. And it was like a mile away. You, could, you guys were a little special. But I was always putting, not always like that, but putting mm-hmm. you in context where you'd have to do that. So no wonder you always thought, you're hearing, I'm not tough enough. I'm not tough enough. You mm-hmm. were immensely, oh my gosh, so much tougher as a kid than I was. Um, a lot. You you were you were a better teammate. You know you were. A, that's the thing I remember about you. You were a great teammate. You had such joy in making others better. That was the thing that to me stands out to you. You obviously very creative, um, very studious, very thoughtful person. Not book studious, but just you know mm-hmm. observant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's no, that doesn't surprise me at all that you look back now and feel like I wasn't tough. Mm-hmm. And you were. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, hadn't, I had not thought of that before. But, you know, I think you know, getting more kind of a practical of, of these father and son relationships that could be a mesh that are listening out there. Right? You know, it, it's kind of right to assume, right, that, you know, again, I mean, practically, you know, our, both of our sports was basketball that dominated our lives and, you know, we both had such a passion for them and a competitiveness and a drive for them and, and, and a love for them. But those those love, that, that passion came from probably two completely separate things, didn't it? And, and maybe that's why the, 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 there did seem to be this constant... Be, um, so things didn't line up between the two of us when it came to it that... Um, it wasn't just that you were a high tension person that drove, um, that pushed me, but um, there had to be something there that that you didn't see the the same spark that that you had towards it, right? Well, yeah, that's true. I because mean, it came the from thing a different is, spot. You, you, you were a healthier kid than I was. 
I mean, my, you know, I got in fights and I, I, I would just do anything to win. And so you were healthier. And I mean, and then your personality, you're, and when we talk about for students, our play system of some are lions, very competitive, some are otters, mm -hmm. which are social, some are beavers, which are do things the right way. And then some are golden retrievers, very loyal. You were much more of an otter golden retriever type. You know, you were in it, frankly, for a much more balanced perspective. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was, you know, I, from very early on, I was in it. I wasn't in it for other people. Mm -hmm. I was in it to win. And um, so I think, I think I saw you as being like me, so, but mm -hmm. you weren't. You were different in that regard. I think your coaches saw you. As he must be like Charlie. What's mm -hmm. wrong with him? He's not as competitive. Mm -hmm. Well, you were healthier. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. what was wrong. Because <laughs> you actually had a healthier perspective. And then mm -hmm. that got used against you, really. And that's what I mean. It would have been so much uh, it would have been so much to your benefit if you could have picked up tennis early instead of basketball. You know? Because I, I, that wasn't my sport. And so mm -hmm. things wouldn't have gotten projected onto you that I think got projected onto you by many mm -hmm. of us. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like we talked about this morning. You know, I, I think if I would have, would have been, been, uh, been raised in a, in any different kind of household, in a, in a less healthy household, um, probably wouldn't have given up basketball. You yeah, know? it probably yeah. wouldn't have happened because I would have, I wouldn't have known any better. And I don't, right. you know, I, I, I quit because you know. Um, Another misconception, as I talked about this weekend, is that I quit because I couldn't stand being yelled at. But that was not it. I quit because I, um, you know, I became pragmatic and I and I, um, I thought, well, there must be more to this than mm -hmm. than just uh, more to me than than, than just this thing. Um, and uh, you know, I wish it could have played out differently than it did, but. Um, so what do you think, you, well, you know, to just kind of bring this around, what do you think you would have done differently? Well, here's the thing, and it'll come out in coming weeks. I, I so wish I'd have learned this years ago, but Carol Dweck, who's an educational researcher, she's one of my heroes, she, her research shows this, and this is, this is so worth hearing this podcast for this. It's the last, not, not the last time you heard me say it. Her research definitively shows that when you compliment a child for their ability and their intelligence, they'll actually feel less intelligent and less capable. The reason is in a child's mind, it creates an expectation. Oh, Austin, you're so smart. You're so talented. You're going to be... It creates an expectation in their mind that they don't feel capable to fulfill. Hmm. Well, that was our model, was to build into you guys and see this talent like like Austin you you could be a scholarship athlete and her research shows that's actually detrimental doesn't mean you're a terrible parent or person it's just detrimental but her research shows you cannot encourage a child's grit and effort too much it's not possible that ev that you affirm effort you affirm application that's what matters because in the end that's the only talent anyway the only true talent mm -hmm. is effort and that's what uh i wish i knew 20 some years ago 
was that. And if you hear that, and you happen to be a parent or a grandparent, it was worth listening to this podcast. I believe that that strongly. Now, we did encourage effort, Mm -hmm. but that was clouded by expectations that were unconsciously and unintentionally Mm -hmm. put on you. Um, For me, that's why I'm a better grandparent. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's about, you know, I, I, and I tell people to this day, I, I, we, if we would grandparent or parent the way we grandparent from that perspective, we'd be so much better because we wouldn't put these unintentional consequences and expectations upon our kids. We're glad that you joined us today. We hope that this nugget of truth that flows out of our story has been beneficial to you. Join us next week on Chucked as we go a different direction 